further ado, we're going to talk about the Bible, speaking of. Um, so this is Matthew 18. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. We're actually going to read from the ESV version this morning, um, and it will show up magically on the screen, or you can open it up on your Bibles in your seats. Uh, so I'm going to read this, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into this text. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is Jesus speaking. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we are incredibly thankful for your word. We're thankful for the parts of scripture that feel um, in some ways lighter and easier. And we're also thankful for the parts of scripture, the words that are heavy and maybe difficult to process. The whole of scripture comes from you. It is for our good, for our edification, for us to read, to digest, for the Holy Spirit to use it to convict us of sin, of wrongdoing, and to recenter us back on truth. And may that happen this morning. As we sit under, as we submit to the Bible, may you use the Bible to cut off the parts of us that need to be cut off and to grow the parts of us that need to grow. Father, we pray for those in our church that are hurting, whether that's relational fractures that have taken place or physical pain for their health or their finances or their housing. We pray as we always do that your kingdom would come. Give us eyes to see each other's needs, hearts of compassion, and a willingness to be courageous, both in our vulnerability, but also in our willingness to sacrifice for one another. And Father, we pray for our city, for our neighborhoods that are represented in this room. May we be light to our neighbors, to the people that live around us, to our workplaces. As Christians, may we love well. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Forgiveness and reconciliation, week three after sabbatical, just jumping right into another really fun, hard text here. It's not a concept that I can think of that is more crucial, more central, more important than this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. And to be honest, I've never met anyone so far that's just anti-forgiveness. Even if you're a visitor here today, and if you're still trying to figure out this person of Jesus, the concept of forgiveness, we're all in our minds, at least, signing off on this idea. 
But as C.S. Lewis once said, everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea. He says that in a British accent, so, you know, do your work there. Everyone (laughs) thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something or someone to forgive. When I was 13 years old, we lived in a neighborhood with a bunch of kids, and there was a red-haired Irish kid, about 12 years old, named Sean. And well, one Saturday morning, Sean showed up uh, on our street with this bright cherry red moped. This is not the exact moped, but this was the one I found even from that year, and it looked just like his. He'd bought it that same morning, and he was just kind of making the rounds through the neighborhood to show this thing off. Well, not soon after he got there, my brother and I naturally started asking Sean, could we take this moped for a spin around the neighborhood? Reluctantly and against his better judgment, Sean said yes. So my brother, who's two years older, takes it for a ride, and he comes back ten minutes later and just had the best time, couldn't wipe the smile from his face. And now it's my turn on the cherry red moped. After a quick tutorial, I take off, and I am instantly just cruising through the neighborhood. I have pulled back on the gas as fast as possible, just whipping through streets in our community. Well, I turn the corner as fate would have it. I turn the corner, and at the bottom of this hill, there were two cars, one parked on both sides of the road, and then coming from the other direction was this enormous SUV. And honestly, there was probably plenty of space for me to kind of squeeze through them, but I just wigged out, got scared, slammed on the brakes, lost complete control, skidded, and just scooted, just kind of laid this little moped down. I slide to a stop. I'm not seriously hurt, but my arms are both, like, covered in blood. Blood's just everywhere. And that poor cherry red moped, somehow it still was running, it's still on, body panels just all cracked, asphalt streaks on, I look over the side mirrors like 15 feet away in somebody's yard, and I'm like a half mile from my house. So I gather myself, take, I took off my shirt, wiped myself down, put my bloody shirt back on, I didn't know what else to do with it, and I put the side mirror in my left hand, and I take off to go back home. Well, I'm sorry to share that somehow, on the way back, I lose control again of the moped. Slam into a curb, fly off the scooter, holding the side mirror. I'm also now in someone's yard. And at this point, I'm like 300 yards from my house, so close to being home, and I've blown the front tire out. So now I'm, I'm holding the side mirror, standing beside this cherry red slash black with an asphalt scooter and just walking this thing, right, kind of like as the tire, like, you know, goes forward onto the street. And as I get close enough, my brother, who is never at a loss for words, his jaw is just on the ground. And Sean cannot believe what's going on. I walk up to this sweet little 12-year-old and I just look at him and say, I am really sorry. I'm going to go inside, but I'm super sorry. (laughs) Forgiveness. Everyone thinks it's a lovely idea 
until we have something or someone to forgive. And the reality is that from the outside looking in, we can look at a situation, two people, friends of ours, you know, that have had a conflict, something's gone awry, and we look at them and just say, just forgive and move on. But the reality is that forgiveness is hard because it always costs something. In my cul-de-sac in my neighborhood, that 12-year-old boy was devastated because of my mistake, my sin, my going out of control, not caring for his moped. My sin cost him his brand new moped. And that's how it always works. Maybe not with a moped for you, but whenever there's sin and thus brokenness in a relationship, someone always pays. Take the sin of gossip. If two men, and yes, men also gossip. If two men gossip, talking bad about somebody behind their back, that is sin. The Bible is incredibly clear. That's sin that's been committed. And when the third person finds out about it, the cost is the hurt and pain, the betrayal that third person endures. Now the third person can choose then to take this pain and try his best to transfer it to other people. And have his hurt, trying to hurt other people by gossiping bad about them or cutting them off or not inviting them to the next thing at their house. Anything they can do to kind of retaliate against them. And to be honest, this feels amazing. It feels so good in our sin when we've been hurt to say, I'm also going to go after this other person. The pity party on the surface feels so good. The self-righteousness of saying, gosh, I would never do what they did to me. But what ends up happening is just more pain. Whenever there's sin, pain follows. This idea of forgiveness and reconciliation is incredibly essential, but it is so hard. But at the same time, though it is so hard, it is absolutely essential. But now, after there's been hurt, and you can think about the hurt in your own life, when someone has sinned against you, you have a decision to make of what am I going to do with the pain that this has caused? Well, if you forgive, what you are saying is that instead of making the other person, the guilty party, pay from your self-righteousness or your pity party or you gossiping back about them, you're saying, I'm going to bear the brunt of that person's mistake and their sin. Instead of you lashing out, you're going to hold your tongue. Instead of slandering to your friends, you're not going to speak ill of them. You'll refuse to uninvite them from the next gathering, though it would feel so good. And isn't that the essence of forgiveness? Another way to say it is forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving, rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. And it's why it's essential but it is so much harder than just saying, just forgive and move on. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And this idea of bearing the cost, what does it come from? Is this some you know, grandiose idea that we just made up? No, it comes from the essentials of the gospel. 
1 Peter 2 says, He himself bore our sins, talking about Jesus, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been what? Which is pretty much a direct quote from Isaiah 53, which we, which we read leading up to Easter every year. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, because he was pierced, he paid the price for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. Forgiveness is essential to Christianity. Bearing the burden of the pain is essential to forgiveness. But there's no moving forward in our lives as Christians, choosing to kind of see forgiveness as some sort of elective. I mean, Jesus literally says, sometimes when I want to say something hard, I just am like, well, just here's what Jesus said. You get mad at somebody, get mad at him. For you forgive other people when they forgive, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You cannot continue to hold on to the bitterness and self-pity and the lack of forgiveness. And it requires bearing the cost. Like I'm saying, we have to understand that if we are ever going to reconcile with people who have hurt us, it's crucial that before we even get into how does that conversation work, go by yourself, bring one or two others, bring the church, how does that ever work? We have to understand that it is essential we have a heart that is moved towards forgiveness. But also the reality that to forgive means in a way we take on the burden. It's not we don't come to somebody to, you know, one-on-one to call out their sin or with another or with the church as a, ma- as a method of vengeance towards them. But we do it out of love. And if we have this mentality, we're able to not only have a healthy mindset for forgiveness, but the gospel, the fact that Jesus loves us, bears the burdens of our sins, he also invites us to a life that is saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. So we want not only that for ourselves, but if we are led by the, by the love of our Savior, we look at our brothers and sisters who are in sin, who have committed sin, not in a way of vengeance towards them, but to say the most loving thing I can do is call you out of this thing that is destroying you, your life, and your relationships, call you to repentance and to a life of following Jesus. We want them to be free from the sin, not just for the sake of relationship, but for their own sake. And if you feel challenged by this so far, like just put your seatbelt on. We're about to we're going to take another step forward. So, you know, we're hitting third gear, about to hit fourth gear here. If we reread the first verse of this passage, which it'll pop up, if your brother sins against you, <clears throat> go and tell him his fault. We breeze past that, but the reality of this, the literally first verse of this really hard passage is if you have been sinned against, you have a responsibility to go towards that brother or sister. We have a call as Christians to initiate relational repair. 
So it doesn't even matter if you didn't start this. There's a call in Scripture to begin the process of reconciliation. Again, sin and forgiveness, the forgiveness of sin, is not an elective in the work of following Jesus. So that all being said, what are the steps that Jesus gives for his people and for us? First and foremost, it says, go to your brother or sister. This is very simple. If someone has wronged you, you have a responsibility to go straight to them. In love, not in hate. To reconcile, not for vengeance. In humility, not in arrogance. Go towards your brother or sister. And I want to take a second here just to name two caveats with this because there are times when the hurt caused by sin is not simply gossip, which is terrible, or slander, which is also terrible. But I want to take just a pause here to be able to say that there are times where the hurt is actually abuse that has happened. That could be physical, verbal, spiritual. And the victims in these horrific cases of abuse, I want to name this so there is clear, we're clear here, there are, there are times where it's simply not safe for that person to do what is being said here in this verse. And what we see in the totality of Scripture is God's heart for the vulnerable. And so we would say with the care of others to help navigate with wisdom, that though forgiveness is never not an option, it's always a call, that call to go to that person one-on-one, there is a wisdom of is this safe and something that needs to be worked out. I just wanted to be, I felt compelled to say that. I just wanted to make sure that was clear. The second caveat with this is that forgiveness does not necessarily mean that trust is instantly regained. If you've been hurt by somebody else, and whether it's gossip or slander or fill in the blank, and you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to go towards them, and there is repentance, there's ownership, and there's reconciliation that happens, it's foolish to think that instantly trust is 100% restored. That sweet little 12-year-old boy never let me ride the moped again. And he was 100% fair to do that. Is there, honestly, like, I would have questioned, like, you probably shouldn't let me ever ride this again. And the reality is that's the case in some of our relationships as well. When we are healthy, we recognize that if we're the one that has done the hurt, that we do not expect the other person to 100% trust us. That's a process. The second step we see from Jesus is if they're going directly to them doesn't work, take one or two people with you. This is simply there's power in numbers, but we are choosing people, not that are ready to go slash tires, but we're choosing people who in love feel compelled to help this brother or sister see their sin. In humility, call them out of it and to renew that bond of fellowship. The third is if that doesn't work, take it to the church If the brother or sister still refuses to sin, the call here is to take the church, and specifically, as we understand this, the leadership of the church. And honestly, the hope is that God would use the leadership of the church through the Holy Spirit to lead that person to repentance. And I know this is a heavy one, but the underpinning of this entire passage, the entire sermon, the underpinning of how special and vital healthy relationships in the church are. 
in the seriousness that Jesus has for the power of sin to destroy. And I want to say this. What we do at Redeemer, all the different aspects, I think are incredibly important. The Getting the parking signs out, to setting up the kids' stuff, to the coffee downstairs. I'm thankful for the volunteers that help with that, and I think it's all important. But the lifeblood, the heartbeat of a healthy church, is a group of people choosing to follow Jesus and be in community with each other. There's no church apart from that. And I'll end with this illustration. You'll see on this, on this slide a, a tree trunk covered in ivy. Well, about five months ago, I was in my backyard, and I noticed a tree that looked a lot like this. Super tall tree, 50, 40, 50 feet in the air, and it seemed honestly decently healthy. Green leaves, strong branches from what I could tell. However, the trunk of it was covered in ivy like this. It was both English ivy and poison ivy crawling up the trunk and into the branches. Now, I'm not an arborist, but I, do, I did know that ivy is not healthy for the trees. If unchecked, it can weaken them. And what you're supposed to do, if you have a situation like this in your own backyard is to cut the ivy at the bottom and let it die and then peel it off after it has died. Well, I walked by this tree about once a week and had the same thought of, I should really go get the snips and, like, cut off that ivy. A week later, I had walked by, have the same thought, still there. A week later, come, have the same thought. Well, fast forward to two weeks ago, when we had that crazy storm come through the city, and I walked out the next morning, and it's hard to tell from this next picture, but an enormous branch, really like half the tree, had fallen onto our shed, right on top of it. It took me the entire weekend to cut it off. It's still sitting in front of our house right now, hoping that the city magically picks it up. And we have a lot of homes in Atlanta, tons of trees in our yard, but when I looked and did the inspection of which one fell... You can guess it was the one covered in ivy. And brothers and sisters, when we leave sin unchecked, when we don't snip off the ivy, when we're unrepentant and there's unforgiven sin, it destroys. It destroys you, it destroys your relationships, but it also has the power to fracture and destroy community. But the difference is if you take care of that tree, and you'll see a slide come up, I have a healthy tree, a tree that is both receiving the nutrients it needs, a community that's receiving from the love of Jesus, a tree that's growing, a community that's growing in holiness, standing in righteousness, and being cared for by actively rooting out the ivy, by a group of people actively rooting out the sin and discord. That tree not only grows, but it provides shade for the exhausted. It provides oxygen for us to breathe, and it's beautiful to look at. So my prayer is that we would be a people that take Jesus' words seriously. Don't weaponize them. We take Jesus' words seriously, and out of the love he has for us, seek reconciliation as a community when there has been pain. And through that, the promise is that we will grow as a community into a tree that flourishes not only for our own sake, but for those around us to come and receive the health and shade from it. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the call of Jesus 
to reconcile, to move towards one another. And I pray for wisdom for our church community that when we have conflict, when there is hurt, when there is sin, that we would remember the gospel and move towards one another in love. It's in Christ's name we pray.